Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Rescuers Down Under episode, part of the 1990 single sequels, yet again. Michael Schantz here from the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man down under, Tom Stewart himself. Say hello to everybody, Tom. Oh no, not the Rangers. What'll I do? What'll I do? (laughs) Don't let your ma call the Rangers, please. My poor baby boy got eaten by the crocodiles. Boo hoo hoo. <laughs> McLeach is a good fucking villain. Well, this is a, we're back in the period of Disney where not only are they gleefully putting children in danger, they mm-hmm. have characters standing around actively mocking them while they're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Real dick move. Yeah, and I mean, I'm trying to think of the the equivalent of this scene in a, you know, an an adult live-action movie, and it's probably that scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, right. She's she's at the dinner table, and they're all mocking her crying. Like, it's it's that level of... of, Malevolence. Rubbing salt in the wound. Right. (laughs) Well, I think it's interesting, because obviously, well... Again, maybe not to you and me, but it should have been so long ago. This is a 1990 movie. Well, at least for this one, there's. it feels like I understand why I didn't think this was a single sequel. Yeah, absolutely. But now I realize... And there were plans for a third one, I learned. But Well, also, and you know, we'll get into this, but yeah, this, this is a a unique historical moment because this is the first time that Disney thought of sequelizing one of their animated features. And from this point onwards, that trend has just exploded. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, you know, the sway, the video sequels, right. Um, Aladdin's the Aladdin's the lion Kings. Um, and that and was now- the plan for toy story, but they made the movies too damn good. Right. Exactly. And now, uh, now we're on the other side of that, where it's strange if a Disney feature doesn't get a sequel. But this yeah, was the right. first time they uh, th- that it crossed their mind uh, to do this with one of their animated films. Well, and I also think it's interesting because this is sort of what's known as the second surge or whatever of Disney. You know, this yeah. the second golden time from like 89 to 99 kind of a thing. Starting with The Little Mermaid, presumably. But started with The Little yeah. Mermaid, which I think was the year before, right? It was, yeah. And this one seems retro compared to the new, you know, uh, say a now Little true. Mermaid, and yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, and and Aladdin and Lion King and Beauty and the Beast and mm. so on. Yeah, well, so I mean, this the, movie the, sits in a strange place. It does. Well, uh, the yeah, and uh, added to the fact that the original Rescuers is 1974, which means I thought that, it was 77. Oh, it was 77. I'm thinking of Chinatown, but it's the same thing. Like that, It's another, <laughs> right. another yeah. sort of mid-70s property that's been revived in 1990. 
Yeah. Along with the two Jakes. The other first hit, I mean, this is a sequel, but there's a lot of firsts attached to it. This is the first use of the Disney computer animation system. This is the first the fully... film. Yeah. yeah it, and it's for the entire movie. Because they've done sequences before. Yeah, this was, Ma- that was an interesting factoid for this movie. Because I didn't Mouse know that. Detective had a... Um, at least one sequence that was computer generated. The clock mechanisms were uh, were were, um, were computer generated, and that was I think. 86. Yeah, it feels it feels like the the night in Young Sherlock Holmes, except it's for the whole movie. Yeah, and they're both Sherlock Holmes films, <laughs> so <it's laughs> within a few within a couple of years of it, or maybe even in the same year, I don't know. Uh, yeah. there, there were two computer generated um, firsts. In two yeah. Sherlock Holmes movies, um, yeah. So I it, it, this this movie, like you say, it's it's it, it lives in its own moment for a number of different reasons, both on and off screen. But I can, I can see precursors to other things in this movie while you watch it, which is interesting. Mm. Even in the even in the opening credits, I see bugs walking on leaves, and it reminds me of ants on sticks in The Lion King. Or, the, or even A Bug's Life. Yeah, right. Wow. This was back when Pixar was a was a machine they used, not, <laughs> not a corporate not, machine that not, ran... Not a corporate ran, machine that ran, that ran the entire everybody. company. <laughs> <laughs> Pixar is like a, like a Star Trek computer. Like it's, it sort of takes over... It's sort of taken right. over the... Yes. Uh, taken over the unit. It's the yeah. HAL 9000 of, of Disney... And then the dark, you know, uh, speaking to the to the moment that this film was made, I think that's part of the darkness of it. You know, with that uh, everything the, the storyline. You mean the well, er, the style of it. That so I think mm-hmm. I think there's two reason why two reasons why this movie is darker than you might expect a Disney movie to be. One of them is historical. Like Disney movie, Disney animated features and horror movies have the same source material, yeah, which is right. European folk tales and Gothic literature. So, ontologically, they're often indistinguishable from each other. And there's a couple of moments in this film where I I would struggle to imagine how the live action horror version of this would be any different. Um, Even when the movie's trying to be fun, yeah, especially you know, I'd say especially kid... when it's trying yeah, to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> This this kid is being awfully cavalier with that fucking golden eagle. <laughs> and but the the other part of it is contemporary. Um, in the nineteen eighties, I think Disney was pervaded with a dark imagination. Mm. And we've already mentioned the Great Mouse Detective, which came out a few years before, which is such right. a horror film. Vincent Price is in it. Right. Yes. I mean, you, you, you want to. <laughs> You want a clear signal that you're in a horror movie? You got Vincent Price there. You put Vincent Price there. But you know, even in their live action output with Return even to Michael Oz, Jackson knew that. <laughs> he did. <laughs> one of his one of his few things. validated decisions throughout history. Um, and in, you know, in their live action output, Return to Oz. I mean, this is a few mm-hmm. years ago, but. It's. I think. I think this is the culmination of those kinds of movies becoming the Disney brand for a while, and then mm-hmm. I suppose, as you were saying, this is also a watershed moment because the 
the movies that they did in the 90s kind of walked away from yeah it's interesting the that horror this... side of these films right it's and now that this really, movie really... starts one year after those movies begin starting with the little mermaid yes yeah there's an overlap yeah. Yeah, it's 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 there is. I mean, I was re- I'm always surprised to see that the Little Mermaid isn't. I think of it as a '90s movie. Yeah, right. 19, exactly. But it's before this. Mm-hmm. This seems like, but this seems like I don't know. Like I don't know what because the, these movies are coming out thick and fast. Like I don't know how conscious this is, but th- this might just be the you know trying to wrap up the past era with a nice little bow. Well, I. <laughs> Before I we suppose move that on that, to new pastures. I, I think that's how it feels, but only in retrospect, because sure. I know that they, they planned on having a third Rescuers, and the fact that... And I'm amazed move, that this doesn't exist, at least in video form. Yeah, exactly. But what's interesting, <laughs> at least to me, was that I read that the powers that be at Disney, they didn't even want to complete this film wow. when they were seeing what it was. And they thought, well, we're more than halfway done. We'll release it and we'll be done with it. And it, you know. Talk about hubris. I mean. Yeah. This but film looks on a gorgeous. Bu- it is really beautiful. But yeah. the thing is, is it, it didn't do what Disney movies were doing, starting with The Little Mermaid. On a budget of $30 million, it made 3.4 on its opening weekend. And in the USA and the world, $27.9 million. So they cut bait for the, yeah. after this movie came out. And. Well, they didn't stop making sequels, though. That's the fascinating part. Yeah, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. You'd think, like, I don't know. You'd think because of what happened with with Disney sequels after this, that this was a rip-roaring success. Yeah, exactly. I know. (laughs) Because pretty much Disney put all their chips in the sequel box from now on. Yeah. Until this very day. So what lesson did they learn from this movie? You know what I mean? Like, like. No, yeah, I know exactly what you mean, but I'm I'm trying to think of it. It, it doesn't. It it's it lacks coherence. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Their no. their mindset for this movie or this series, and then what they ended up doing with all the other movies. Yeah. They're diametrically opposed. It's crazy. I mean, maybe it is just the the video distinction. Maybe that's that's how you reconcile the the two. Mm. thought processes maybe it is like look we you know we can we can make cheap sequels that will go straight to video but let's not do a theatrical release sequel until we're confident that this is gonna yeah work for well us and i think actually i mean if you could i don't know i don't, I don't have a, i don't have other budgets in front of me the kids then right you know you could you could come up with the rescuers in i don't know Abu Dhabi, Germany, would be nice. yes. <laughs> but I, I have to say that I was surprised that a movie, an animated movie in 1990, that doesn't have the new, the new kind of glossy sheen of what they started to do with the other movies, cost thirty million dollars. That surprised me. Yeah. Well, but. I think that's since putting, we know I, I, it was also yeah. the fir- first fully and an, you know first, uh, not fully animated, but the first fully digital. Yeah, but it's it's that's got to be where the expense comes from, right? 
That's got to be... Yeah, I think that's where the expense comes from, but my my feeling is that they're in experimenting with what they want to do with this. Mm-hmm. They actually find something that really... A really unique look that we've never really seen again in a Disney film, and I, and I just kind of revel Well, I think it. that's what's interesting about the movie is that the movie... It feels like both to me. It gives me the warm and fuzzies yeah. of the animation that mm-hmm. I kind of grew up on as a young kid. Yeah. In the 80s and the 70s. But it also has looks that are akin to, like I said, Lion King and Beauty and the Beast. And, yeah. You know, it really is an in-between kind of movie. And in that, in that way, its animation is very interesting and compelling to watch to me. And it's very attractive now, uh, you know, looking yeah. looking at retrospectively because, you know, that that being able to have a movie that looks rec- recognizably computer anima- animated but still has that sort of hand-drawn feeling Feel. that we yeah. associate with older Disney movies, to have both of that in the same movie is quite a coup looking back. Yeah, it is. And again, I mean, we, 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 I mean, we've talked about this to death with, you know, the... Ter- the Terminator 2's intermixing of practical and digital effects and I think yeah, something right. similar is going on here where yeah I think you're right they understand how to make films in the old style and they're experimenting with this new style and the fusion of the two leads to really attractive filmmaking yeah <laughs> I, I, I that's what I felt throughout this movie um I was just I was sort of a little bit taken aback and i and 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 credit to this movie like i read about the computer animated part of the story mm-hmm. after i'd watched about 20 minutes of it because i saw something oh, okay. that just seemed so computer animated i had to check yeah um but up to that point i was like i was like i i don't know what is bringing about this effect mm-hmm. but it's cinematically very interesting i agree and i you know did, going into this movie, did you have a background kind of sense of the overall opinion of the movie? Because I think because of when I started to read was, about it, I did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, well, I always had this sense that this was a failed yeah, well, no movie, I'm... and that it wasn't supposed to be very good. That's that was yeah. my kind of. It's my another one. Of my I, I had no claims. evidence to back that up, but that was sort of the sense that I had of this movie. Well, you're correct, and I think it's so far removed from that. Oh, the yeah, the, no, I mean, the, the experience I was, of it watching was such it. a genuine, lovely yeah. surprise to watch this movie. Yeah, absolutely. But your inst- however you knew it, you were right, because as soon as, <laughs> as I read, like every article I read about this began with, you know, otherwise a disappointment. This was the first use of the computer animated, like, you know. Yeah, right. And, and I'm just like, I'm like, really? so that was you're my sense. You're going to write off the like the content of the movie as well because yeah. I, think, I I don't think you should do that either. This this movie has everything that I think footnote. that that a movie like it would have had and should have had at the time. I mean, it's and it's. It's so of the time, too, Tom. I mean, there's the... I, I couldn't help but think about Star Trek IV The Voyage Home with the message about the whales and conservation. Yeah. You know, all of that's here in this movie. So, well, you know, yeah, t- and time I'm... and time again, we see, we see that movies around the same time are speaking to each other in some way. Oh, and, you know, this is... I have some 
instances in this movie where it feels like we're watching every other 1990 single sequel. Yeah, right. Including the other one made by Disney that we've watched. <laughs> <laughs> but I also want to say that, like you said, it seemed like every review would say, other than this new animation, uh, it's utterly utterly underwhelming. But this movie has 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> okay. So, well, what I the mean, fuck? <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I was obviously reading the wrong articles because... Uh... I'm really happy to hear Well, that. but as always, we have to ask high. ourselves, is, is that high. revisionist? I, yeah, sure. I, I don't care how it came about. I'm really happy to, to see it. I, I'm really happy. Normally, you know, when I hear the Rotten Rotten Tomatoes score, it's... <laughs> as, as apparently... <laughs> as apparently is now a formula for our show, as you, you expressed in one of the previous episodes. I'll go, oh, that was mean, or, you know, that's a, a low blow. So I'm pleasantly surprised to see that peop- that the collective estimation of this movie is more than even I give is it. Is higher than I and thought, I, yeah. And I feel like I'm one of the cheerleaders for this film. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we haven't mentioned the directors. We got Hendel Butoy and Mike Gabriel. Mm. Not a lot of work as far as other directing, uh, it said that Hendel Butoy, he directed uh, the 1999 version of Fantasia, but not all of it, just a segment. Well, okay, so, but then th- that would have been the only new segment in the movie, though, right? See, and I couldn't remember yeah. so it's, that it's the movie if it had plus... new segments. Or do they mean he's like cleaning up or no, I think the animation? There are new, there's, there's at least one new segment in there. Okay. Plus, uh, sorry, minus a little bit of uh, other racism. Well, I hope so. So it's like. The other guy, um, Mike Gabriel, he did direct Pocahontas. Okay. He also got nominated for uh, an animated short called Lorenzo. Oh, excellent. So, but again, like two people that apparently didn't at least have a lot of directing experience for animated features. What a what a challenge for them to be yeah. making a film with this entirely new process of animation. Right? Yeah. Um, maybe maybe I mean, they were the go-to guys for that particular new yeah. invention. The, the or, only guys who knew how to reboot Pixar after it <laughs> shut down. <laughs> It was like no, you gotta you gotta tap it three times in succession. That's the only way it'll turn back on. Yeah. Um, the, the Pixar Whopper is different than the regular Whopper. It's it's interesting. It's so funny because normally I look up the directors, but because mm-hmm. this is an animated movie, I didn't. And it reminds oh. me that this is the first time we've done an animated movie, and how how prejudiced that is of me because right. the, I, I pretty much like. 20%. You son of a bitch. I know, about 60% of my notes are, wow, the direction is amazing. Mm-hmm. If you did this in live action, you'd be winning Oscars left, right, and center. Yeah, right. So It also... Boomy. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, by all means, go on with that. <laughs> no. you'll, you'll presumably uh, take over that mantle for the rest of the podcast, <laughs> as, is, as, is, uh, as is your want. At, well, as this movie opened, I... I was reminded that there's a certain swath of animated 
shorts, cartoons, features mm -hmm. that, without kind of hitting you over the head, manage to teach you things, too. Because we open, like, hearing the didgeridoo. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking how cool that is, that it's not really focused on or anything, but it's there. Yeah. And if you're a curious kid, you end up learning things about geography, about climate, about whatever. And in this movie, you know, you get some Australia shit. <laughs> My note is we get some Australia shit. <laughs> I have a very I have a very similar note. Like the 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 one shot across the flower fields that begins yeah. the movie. It's like a synthesis of all the movies that have been made about Australia up to this point in history. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my notes start before there, predictably, um, with the logo, the Walt mm. Disney Pictures logo, which brought me to tears. Yeah, it really was sweet to see it, wasn't it? But just classic. But and there's a but. No. This is just nostalgia, because yeah, when I look at it objectively. It's like a 90s corporate cutdown of the wonder that was once the oh, the Walt Disney Pictures logo. Mm. So, I think looking at it at, you know, take taking off the rose-tinted glasses, it speaks more to the machine that Disney is now. Yeah, <laughs> than it was before. You know? That's interesting. It's sort of like, you know, now now we're all lab rats wandering around their marketing mazes um, yeah because it's everywhere uh and i know before anyone writes in i know that the that the disney organization in the 50s and 60s was a ruthless communist hunting machine i know but at least <laughs> at least you know at least part of their capitalist model was to stress the authenticity of the human experience as a way to get people's money sure right so anyway, that's uh, that's the logo. All right. <laughs> I just it just took me back to the nostalgia trip when I was a child, and I thought, oh yeah, I it did me too. And then I had to I had to interrogate that because because I thought, hang on a minute though, this is there's no splendor here, mm -hmm. there's no magic. This is it a... just turns into cardboard for you, like, and then and then the, and then it goes, doo, 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 doo. yeah, which is such a, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't remember it being that awful and synthesized. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought about it and thought, yeah, probably they were like, we got to cut down this logo; it's taking up too much of the, you know, we can pack in more. We could do better. Yeah, we exactly. <laughs> But oh. but I mean that that first shot of of when they zoom through the leaf, mm -hmm. and again right. at this point I didn't I hadn't clocked the computer animated possibility that you know that made this a possibility. Um, but I was just in awe of the multiplane animation and and the kind of composition yeah. and camera work. That's yeah, me too. And it reminds me, like, animation doesn't have to be about creating a fantasy world. Because everything they do in this opening sequence is the, to me, is like the ultimate Is the goal. natural world. Yeah. But, yeah. It's the ultimate goal of cinema. All the techniques they're using. Mm -hmm. They're kind of using animation as hyper-realism, at least at this point in the movie. And I, I really appreciated that, like, the depth and dimension that they got out of... The, everything the animated 
frame, I thought was yeah. was stunning. And then you know, on on level of content as well, the way that the images are kind of building this sense of the of the everyday of human life in the cabin. I mean, it's mm-hmm. almost like a kind of proto Mike Judge film something you know, it's like it's it not not what you expect these days from from disney like starting out in this really grounded reality that looks like our own yeah it looks like what it's supposed to be but like you said i had the same note i i i took note of sort of how lived in this boy's life was and with with such a light touch with, yeah yeah and and you know I no dialogue I think that... barely any dialogue no faces. Right. This is something right. we should yes. go back to in animation. Mm-hmm. No human faces. <laughs> human faces. We never see mom. Complicate storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't hear that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I had this sense not until about ten or fifteen minutes later into the movie, of course. But I believe as the boy is is walking out, mm. mom says something to him and he says, don't worry, mom. And in that moment, I wanted a video to play of his day for mom to see what he was up to that day. Yeah. And just watch the sheer terror. <laughs> but it's great. Something I really admired. And again, I think this is something that the Disney and Disney Pixar movies have kind of lost. Like when he starts running through the woods mm-hmm. and amassing animals, yeah. there's this gradual ramping up of fantasy from from reality. Yeah, like it feels like you know I I I you know and I, I admire a lot of uh, of like Disney's recent Disney and Pixar's recent movies, but there's a sense that it just kind of like plonks you in the middle of is this yeah fantasy world. But here you you kind of you have to. You have to run up to it. And by the time we get in the woods, there's a talking kangaroo. So you're like, okay, so and we're, and the now transition we're good to go. has been made. Yeah, exactly. But you need by that the time chance. he's done running. Yeah, you need that segue. <laughs> he's riding on the kangaroo's back and they're the best of friends. And you buy it and accept it because of of his collection of friends as, as he's running along. And I prefer this approach to the common approach of a lot of Disney Pixar films in recent years, which is to to sort of drop you in the middle of a fantasy world and have all the characters ironically comment on how they're in a fantasy world. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, you made the decision to be in this fantasy world. Everyone in there should be acting like this is, this is normal. They shouldn't be, they shouldn't be snarking about what they're doing. Right. But what's interesting (laughs) is that they're snarking to catch you up to the world. Right, exactly. You know, and that's just another way of doing it, but it's less interesting and and more annoying, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and get, we've already spoken to this, but you know, this is a, still an era where they're happy to put children in real danger with real stakes, because that kid <laughs> is straight up the mountain. <laughs> Oh man! I mean, quicker than James when T. The... Kirk at the beginning of Star Trek Five. He's yeah, up that mountain. My my note was when the kangaroo says the eagle's up there, and I I wrote down no 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 you don't climb that, not appropriate. And I no was ropes, kinda... you know he's just yeah. free climbing like he like he's Ethan Hunt. Well, exactly. And speaking of that, you know, I was struck how. 
at least as far as the kid's concerned, there's no magic or superpowers here. He's literally yeah, right. climbing a mountain, taking a knife out of his pocket, and then cutting and, it eagle and, free. Like he's using right. he did, like whatever he's got in the world <laughs> is all he has. Is all is all on him already. You know, and I guess another thing like Disney's focused on fantasy beings with, uh, you know, supernatural or, uh, um, you know, otherworldly powers. Mm-hmm. And here it is, you know, just and that fits with the Australianness of it, obviously. It does, yeah, right. So part Did of it notice? is like, part of it is like that this is set in Australia, and the other part of it is like, well, Disney have chosen to set it in Australia so they can have the kids <laughs> go through these these bush trials. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. And speaking to that, did you notice? That so as we said, he cuts the eagle free, mm-hmm. but the eagle getting free means he's knocked off the top of this cliff. Right. And so you have the vertigo effect as he's mm. as he's falling. Right. And then the director chooses to focus on his face, which is tearing up mm-hmm. because of the velocity of the wind. Yeah. I thought that was, like that made it twice as more frightening yeah. for me. I thought that was incredible. It's using animation to make movies that feel more viscerally real. <laughs> yeah. Which goes against the received wisdom of what we think cartoons are. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, but you know what I, I like most about this scene? Hmm. Dialogue kept to a minimum. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're and right no about snuff, that for sure. Right? To paraphrase Lisa Simpson, listen to the lines that they're not saying. <laughs> I've actually wrote one here. Let's let's see if you can imagine this in a more recent okay. Disney movie. Sitting in an eagle's nest on a mountain. That's not weird at all. <laughs> oh, that's too much. <laughs> but I mean, they you know they have no there's no sense of this seed needs something else. Mhm. They, they they trust in what they've got and what they let and like you say you you're sort of watching it on a level of pure visceral fear anyway yeah, so right, your brain yeah. doesn't have time to like deal with dialogue to to, 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 to transpose yeah um that's yeah, fantastic and, and then the, you know the, the the point of view of the animal of the eagle in flight and the movement mm-hmm. Again, I don't know if this is computer enhanced or whether it's something they could do anyway, but kudos to them because they made the best cinematic choices in that situation. Yeah, they do. They they make all the best choices. And for a viewer, you, this is when you know when you're in a, a movie ma- being made by Disney of this time. Yes. Because whenever that kid gets close to the ground is on the eagle, you're breathing a sigh of relief. And the next thing you know, he's flying off a waterfall or yeah. some other shit to some other death-defying feat. And you, you, you re-kind of <laughs> tense up over, you know, his now being unsafe yet again. And I was trying to, like, as this was going on, because it seems so alien now in animated kids' films that this kind of stuff happens, I was like, so why is this happening? Australia? Yes, that's part of it. Yeah, right. This is a different kind of kids' film, because it was made in the, you know, at the end of the 1980s. Got it. But I was also like, but there's some part of this that it's, it's, it's so dark and so deadly it's still, there's still nothing to account for it. It's sort of like, 
Mm-hmm. It's like the next few scenes are like something from The Walking Dead. I mean, yes, right. when he's trapped in that pit, I mean, there's an in episode the of Walking Dead where that basically happens. Yeah, um, sure. And then there's the Komodo dragon jump scare. I was mm-hmm. sort of like, well, that's an actual horror technique. So, what? <laughs> like, why are we choosing this? I mean, it's it's brilliantly done. I jumped out of my seat. Yeah. Um, and then you know, th- this is a, another great. <laughs> this is a another great moment where what whoever the actor is voicing this kid just abandons his Australian accent at this point. Yeah, like right. quicker than Connery in the Untouchables. You know, he's just like. <laughs> It's just like, look, I gave the Australian thing, I gave it a go. Uh, I gave it it's a whirl. It's not working out for me. <laughs> it's time All right, to why don't we take a break? American. <laughs> All right, why don't we take a break then? Yeah, We've let's see if this jump. child gets out of the pit. And even if he does, I'm sure some other horrible act it's gonna, will befall him. It's going to be on the barrel of a gun, I can yeah. tell you that much. It's probably safer staying in that pit. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back, everyone, right after this. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beer. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. As promised, we're back. Tom and I are here discussing The Rescuers Down Under, yet another 1990 single sequel. They never end. <laughs> as far as we know. So far as we know, last... this is the last one. <laughs> I think we are. Already... As you know, we've yeah. been wrong before. <laughs> I think we talked either on air or off air or both that a year from now. We can't wait to see what other four movies we missed. From 1990. So save us the trouble, right? If you if you <laughs> if you know of a 1990 sequel, send it, single send sequel it in. Near you, yeah. Let us know because uh, well, we can still do something about it. So we've been talking about this about how all these movies feel like the same movie. Yes, and it's remarkable that there are really eight is. single sequels from a single year that yeah, all feel them... like the same story. They all feel like the same story. Two of them are made by Disney. Two of them are uh, revivals of 1970s properties. (laughs) 
it's unbelievable. There's a, there's in mo- most of them have quite a gap between yeah the ori- yeah exactly the original. Even Gremlins is like six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Young Guns, I think, as well, is a good few years. Another yeah, that's the, probably hours. the shortest one. Forty-eight hours is eight years. Because wow, a... Young Guns is the shortest one. Yeah, that's that's saying, saying something. something. I don't know about <sighs> the troll trolls universe. Troll, but... Well, as, a, we know, as we know, that's a lore unto itself. <laughs> hard, hard to distinguish. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think if you if you broke down troll troll or trolls two, you could, you know. You probably find a lot of a lot of overlap, right? Thematically, <laughs> you might even find a troll eventually. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's 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 like you know at least the rescuers go down under in this movie. Yeah. Now, how they much do you remember from the original no movie? Too. I've never seen the original movie. Oh wow! And I've never seen this. This I had, series passed me by. I had not seen this, but I saw the original in the theater as a little kid, and love, love, loved it. Yeah, I mean, I was a, I was a, <laughs> I was a big time fan of the original Rescuers. I always liked the idea that it's a bunch of rats and mice working under the United Nations as their own United Nations. Oh yeah. And you know what's great? Uh, I and I, you know I'm only speaking, speaking for this movie, but mm-hmm. I love how how carefully crafted that that mice world was, without putting too fine a point on everything. Mm-hmm. There's a the sequence is coming up with the where they you know they make a pea soup out of a single pea. Yeah. And then they take it to the table, and then th- and then they're in this restaurant, which is just a normal restaurant, but they're mice. And I thought this is. This is really good world building, for want of a better term. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and their restaurant is, you know, near the the regular restaurant. So they just they got a pee that dropped on the ground yeah. from that restaurant. And it, I, it's a very, I mean, I'm sure the rescuers came up with this first, but it's very similar to the Great Mouse Detective, because you've got because they're they're the mice that live underneath. Sherlock Holmes house. Yeah. So right. they're doing everything that the people that the people on the uh in the world are doing. Yeah. But before we get to Don't fix it if it ain't broken. Before we get to the stars of the movie, the titular rescuers, ah, yeah. we've got to meet McLeish. Oh well <laughs> I just George C. Scott. George C. Scott and I just love everything about his performance. Yeah. And he's a really good bush maniac. A... You he could is. throw him in any there... like horror film about the Australian outback, and he would continue to be as scary. <laughs> he would just be great. <laughs> I I, so I thought I thought two things like it in terms of foreshadowing. I thought someone remembered this when they were writing the Bob Peck character in Jurassic Park, because at one mm. point he says, "Good girl, Joanna." Yeah, right. <laughs> and I also thought that, that his his vocal clever girl his vo- his vocal performance really laid the groundwork for all of Ed Asner's future animated voiceover work. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Asner really picked up this mantle. Well, and there's a lot going on. You know, it's funny. We've talked before about 
say, the Poltergeist series, mm. like a real lack of respect for dead actors and that kind of thing. Yeah. And this series does the opposite because uh, the first rescuers had Orville, mm-hmm. who was an albatross, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and the actor died. Yeah. The voice actor died. Jim Jordan. I think two years before this. Yeah, Jim Jordan died a couple years before this 88. movie came <laughs> Probably out. Probably while this is in development. Right. So John Candy takes over, but they're not going to let him be the original character. They create a new character. He's his brother. His brother. Yeah. So this <laughs> like great D- is Disney's it? first attempt at a sequel, and they're already dropping imbasses like they're hot. <laughs> right? <laughs> we got a surrogate brother. We've got ourselves a surrogate. <laughs> not only that, but it's Orville and, and Wilbur. Yeah. So you've got a Wright Brothers dro- joke. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's really interesting how like given that they're, they're dipping their toes into the world of animated sequels, how quickly they're picking up the language. This... Yeah, right. Our language. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, um, and I guess like I I was um, when when I well, and the very first time I've ever because I've never seen the rescuers, the first time I was introduced to the 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 titular rescuers. Uh, in the mm-hmm. restaurant, they're like a glamorous detective duo who are right. kind of well, on the verge of marriage, will be married by the end of the film. And I thought... Oh, the, That's a runner. There's a more than a few shades of the Thin Man series. Mm. And I wondered how much it was kind of harking back to that. Because that's a very early film series. Like it ran through end of the 1930s, beginning of the 1940s. Um you know, a series of films all called The Thin Man with the set all... I know of The Thin Man, but I haven't seen them. Well, we should do them on the show. They're they're formative yeah. sequels. Um, so I guess it, what, what I'm saying is, that, you know, there are, there are... Even though this is new for Disney, there are still precedents that they're drawing on. Sure, yeah. Um, and interest... And it, we talked in the Two Jakes episode about, like, when you do sequels that involve detectives, you can either continue the case or just have the detective or have, have a, a, new a new case and this takes the the road less traveled less traveled by the two jakes so, right so i kind of it, it, it dovetails in that way as well well what's interesting is we talked about the sort of story troubles you can get get into hmm. that the two jakes does get yes. into by keeping yeah the, the, the last case, you yeah, know? Yeah, and this is just a clean and, break. And you get the complete opposite yeah. here, and it's a clean break with new characters. And, I mean, I, you know, let's talk Bob Newhart and Ava Gabor. Just before that, I just cause... wanted to mention that this is... Oh, this, go ahead. When we see new, the first time we see New York... Well, firstly, I like how Disney are using their, their best customer relations by having the map stop at a U.S. city somewhere near where you live. Uh, right. when you're watching the movie kind of Al Roker style yeah. um, and then new, when you see New York in animated form this was when I, this was when I got the sense that computer animation was used because when mm. I saw the buildings the first thing I thought was Minecraft <laughs> <laughs> and then I did a bit of research I was like computer animation system that makes sense minecraft is harking back to early computer graphics so this of course that's, that's why it funny. looks like minecraft anyway Car- let's uh let's meet the rescuers <laughs> well so 
I mean, having not seen the first film, yeah. <laughs> do you feel connected <laughs> to these two? Does the I I, I wasn't lost. Uh, it didn't okay. go above my head. No, I mean, but this, you know, it's like that. <laughs> oh, I don't mean that, but you know. <laughs> no, I, I know what you mean. It's like, yeah. I have this familial idea of these two characters because I kind of grew up with them. So. Well, I grew up with Bob Newhart, so. Uh, and. But you, I, yeah, I was just going to say that you probably grew up with Bob Newhart. So. And his comedic persona is so all-consuming, the portly body of a cartoon mouse does nothing yeah. to contain it, right? It's like, every time he speaks, you're like, you can see Bob Newhart like a phantom. Hand in glove. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, the movie's pretty good with the, with the sort of catch-up storytelling, where it's sort of like, they're preceded by their reputation. Like, even if you didn't know what happened in the first movie, they, bas- they basically tell you that they did a case like this before. So they're the yeah, right people right. for the job. I'm like, that's, that's fine. I'm I'm all caught up. <laughs> right. And they don't belabor the point they either. They don't belabor anything. I mean, it's an hour and a 70 minute movie, which as we discussed <laughs> off bike, I think is a perfect length for any movie, animated or otherwise. Um, and it's when we get into, like you say, the, you know, the proposal part of the movie is the runner. Mm-hmm. And the first time he does it, first time he tries to propose and is interrupted you're like this is probably going to turn into a runner but it doesn't outstay its welcome never because they i think they stick to the rule of three don't they and when every time they do it they're in very short bursts like they don't base whole scenes about it this is advanced comic Mm -hmm. writing (laughs) <laughs> this is this this is the this is the most in depth and involved it gets is in this yeah. first scene, because the rings get knocked around Indiana Jones style, <laughs> or in <laughs> Temple of Doom style. So he's running around the restaurant looking for his fucking ring. <laughs> and then they, then they they meet Wilbur and he's got Lao Che Airlines sort of stenciled <laughs> yeah, on the yeah. side of him. <laughs> Well, this is and, and this is where they meet. This is where they meet Wilbur. We we learn that that uh, the the air service is now under new management, which is a, a great yes, of, right, a great way of making the transition. He says, "My brother Orville told me all about you." So, you know, uh, we he's caught up. So we're he's caught, caught up. up we're so fine. We're, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it when the characters in my movies aren't behind the eight ball. This is my right. biggest problem with with pretty much every season of Picard. Is Picard's like ten steps behind everyone else. I'm like, fucking hell, Picard. I know you're ninety, but come on, um, get your shit together. Yeah. <laughs> and then he gets his shit together, and then the show's over. Um, this made really made me wish for an alternate reality in which. Robin Williams did this, and John Candy did the genie. <laughs> I don't. Oh, interesting. Mean, mean, I was gonna say I don't mean to speak ill of the dead, but this is—they're both dead, so <laughs> I'm not—I'm not discriminating. You don't think either one is in their wheelhouse? <laughs> no. He's John Candy is, has such a gift for this. Mm-hmm. He's playing all the same notes as the Rob, as the Robin Williams genie. But it's never too much, right. and it never gets wearing. Also, possibly because John Candy is from an improv background, all the jokes are probably not stolen from other comics. So, 
Um, but it's the same thing, right? They're just letting Candy flex his improv skills, and then they're animating around him. I don't think... I mean, this comes later in the movie, but... Man, did I have myself a good old chuckle when he said it feels like my head's in a vice grip. <laughs> Turns out it was. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was fantastic. That just reminded me of a time and a place where a joke like that is told and just kind and of works. Candy's got a real gift you know, for that. It just made me so happy. Candy always had a joke for the kind for the joke that was so obvious it didn't need to be said. Because mm-hmm. the best gag in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is the the scene after Steve Martin gets picked up by by the cab driver by his balls, and he turns to him and says, you know, I've never seen a man picked up by his testicles before. So, <laughs> I think Candy has a real gift for this. <laughs> yeah. It's a real niche for him. Also, the, the music department is um, is on the money here as well, because... Uh, you know he's he's listening to rock and roll in his little hangar, mm-hmm. and uh, they fold in. He can't hear anyone. They fold in a li- once he's once he when he's taking off. They fold in a little Dick Dale guitar sound to it. So somebody on that mm-hmm. music team is like knows their rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, here's here's the thing. What do you think of speaking of the early nineties? What do you think of Cowabunga? Oh. I mean, it's got it. You know, it's Bart Simpson related. I mean, The Simpsons is already on the air, so I wonder what. Yeah. Is, so I have to imagine they're capitalizing on. I'm sure Bart had said it by then, right? But a, I mean, but, it's a catchphrase. But is there like a common, common source for both? Or is. I would say on the peripheral, like on the edges. You know, you you know. It became so ubiquitous because of Bart Simpson yeah, sure. that it's hard to to decipher that. But, but yeah, I mean, it feels like a kind of surfer dude. We'd heard that before, yeah. kind of thing. But I think you. This is the thing. It made me realize, and this is adjacent to a conversation you and Matt Aldrich have had on the Project Nineteen Eighty Two podcast mm-hmm. about um, good, cute, and bad cute. E.T. is yeah. good cute, Jar Jar is bad cute. But the other consideration for this is, I think, there's certain things you can get away with when it's a animated character in an animated film, an animated character in a live-action film, but you can't get away with it when it's a live-action, animated live-action character in a live-action film. So yeah, right. if Jar Jar did this, I'd hate it. If Roger Rabbit did it, it'd be fine. When Wilbur does it, it's fine. <laughs> right. I think that's it. That's the cutoff point. If you, yeah. if he's, if if the world around you is conducive to to, to it. it, yeah. Um. Also, I just want to say, Albatross Airlines. That's funny. That's very. That is. A, that's a <laughs> got a nice rhyme of the ancient mariner joke in there. Who says? Right. Who says Disney's low culture? Um, and this is another another huge imbasse. Well, I guess it's been an imbasse from minute one. The decision to set it in Australia. It's a travel sequel. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, 
And I, I mean, guess we should have mentioned that right up top, shouldn't we? We should have mentioned that right. Well, we didn't know how the. It's the imbass of all imbasses. It is, but you know, I guess. Well, is it a travel sequel because it begins in Australia, and the rescuers still they check it. They have to travel there. Not that yeah. it takes long. From their perspective, it's a travel film. From our perspective, yeah. they're coming to us. Um. And I, so I guess like partly it's that, partly it's the it's a sequel, so we've got to go to another country. And then the other half of it, I guess, is the sort of zeitgeist of Aussie love in this period, sort of late eighties, mm-hmm. early nineties. There's a quite an affection for for Australia and popular culture. As explored, well, it, as I mean, explored Crocodile in that Dundee episode. and yes, <laughs> Simpsons go there. You know, once Crocodile 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 Dundee hit the scene. I guess, you know, there's a period of, what, five to eight years where, where we're going to be fascinated by yeah. anything Australia. And so there are things that are going to glom onto it. It's kind of like we talked about the late 70s movies where other movies are glomming on to yeah. uh, the disaster films and that kind of thing. So I guess the only remnants of that is, is the Outback Steakhouse chain. <laughs> yes. which shows no signs of declining <laughs> for reasons beyond me even John Mulaney talks about Outback Steakhouses in his new special um, <laughs> I, yeah and, and again once we go back to Australia we're back we're back in a full on horror movie there's abandoned, oh, yeah. abandoned mines red rocks there's a bush maniac wielding a chainsaw I mean it's just <laughs> It's just crazy. It's crazy the, to me. The little boy and all his fuzzy animal friends are all locked up in cages. Absolutely. I mean, that's it. Yeah. It's 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 like it's like Silence of the Lambs yeah, in there for it, fuck's it, sake. It really is. <laughs> it makes me in a in a perverse way. It makes me glad I didn't see this as a child because I remember how much the Great Mouse Detective affected me, and that is really incredibly scary. There's yeah. a couple of shots in that movie that I that still make me kind of like shiver, shiver right now. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually, <laughs> um, so I think I think it's fantastic. I, then the but Sydney did you off- notice like there are there are little there are little things going back to my point earlier when the rescuers rescuers arrive. One yeah. of the first things we see without them commenting on it is the Sydney Opera House. Right, and the Sydney, like, this was when, now I knew it was a computer animation system, I was like, oh, okay, sure. well, this is computer generated. But I was also like, and in the spirit of how it's used in the movie, I was like, it's just adding to the art, it doesn't detract from anything. Yeah, it's just there. Yeah. Um, And this is... I mean, this was a, a this is a this is a kind of unwritten rule of any when you're using any kind of new visual technology, is you want to put it in places where it won't impact the story of the movie. So, if we didn't have, if for some reason this didn't work, it wouldn't be any loss mm. to the movie if you didn't see the Sydney Opera House. Yeah, I suppose that's true. But you like the Abyss or uh, Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. like you know. Yeah, right. It's like these are our money shots, but you can narratively do without them. Yeah, I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but they add to the spectacle, too. Yeah, they add to the spectacle. There'd be worse movies without them, but they're also clever enough to write them in a way that they are happen at moments where if you, if you need to refilm it as something else, you can. 
Mm. Yeah, like, right. No one's right. spending the movie yeah. going, did you see that big? Well, I guess they are saying, did you see that big dinosaur? Yeah. <laughs> Forget everything I just said. <laughs> it's kind of the, <laughs> the point of Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> They're taking their glasses off in astonishment, Tom. We need to timestamp this. The, the moment that Tom <laughs> on this podcast said, nobody in Jurassic Park is walking around saying, hey, did you see that big dinosaur? <laughs> The title of the movie could have been Hey, Did You See That Big Dinosaur? <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I was interested to see the origins of the, the Pixar style of everything being a pun for whatever the key difference is in the world you're in. So the, when <laughs> when they're landing, uh, our um, air traffic control mice Jake. ranger says, Wise fly. Yeah. So that could be a whole animated series by itself. Wise flies. <laughs> Wise flies. Yeah, it's just good fellas with flies. I guess they've already done that with good feathers. Good feathers? You don't know good fe- uh, the the Animaniacs segment. Oh, I never really watched Animaniacs. Mike, you've got to see good feathers like good- sporadically. Good feathers very is very sporadically. They're pigeons. Uh, there's a Robert De Niro. There's, a, there's the pigeons based on the characters from Goodfellas. That's amazing. There's a Tommy pigeon. There's a Jimmy pigeon, and there's a Henry Hill pigeon. Seriously. <laughs> I'm gonna go get the pellets. Get the pellets. That is literally what it's like <laughs> for kids. That's great. With um, and it's Warner Brothers, so nobody's getting sued. Yeah, good times. I, I, I think like this, it. This is oh oh the air traffic control skit. This is where I forgot I was in a cartoon. <laughs> because, really? <laughs> because I, I because I was like the xenophobia, the characters, mm-hmm. the situation. It just plays so real. <laughs> like <laughs> like I forget that they're cartoon mice and a cartoon bird. I can never figure out in these movies why birds can't just land. They always have to. They yeah. always have to. It's a sk- crash a, yeah, and tumble. Yeah. I mean, it's all for comedic effect, but I remember that from the first movie. Here, here is a weakness, a legitimate weakness of this film. We've been nothing but glowing so far, but I will, I will level this against the movie. All right. They don't make they don't make the in world rules very clear. That's true. Because there are animals that talk and there are animals that don't, and that we don't, don't, and we don't know why one does. Some humans can hear them. Some humans yeah. cannot. Yeah, all of those rules are that a little, was, you know... That's my biggest note for this movie. A couple of lines of dialogue to cover that would have helped, but it's not a, it's but not a biggie. But I'll, I'll... I'll say this for it. it. It seems... What's the boy's name? I just keep referring to him as the final girl. Because <laughs> that's basically his role in this film. Yeah. Well, anyway, my point was that I always felt as though the movie does seem to be saying that the boy is so in touch with nature that he gets to hear all the animals. That may, you know, that okay. I could at least buy that. I, I can buy that, but it is it. It feels like there's something but that it's, Disney normally pay attention to that they don't pay attention to here. That they don't. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, but you know, it's not <laughs> in other respects. It's very it's very easy to invest in this world, so yeah, I guess it's it's not a big deal. Now the movie takes some time here to introduce Jake, who is basically Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> sure. Uh, but in a sort of in a somewhat self-aware, 
Yes. Like Crocodile Dundee's already become a trope, and we're playing with that trope. Yes, exactly, yeah. Which, again, is more advanced comic writing than you might expect from the than rest you of would expect, yes. I particularly well, like I... that when he's looking at the map, and he's listing all these yes. dangerous place names, and then Bob Newhart, I'm not going to call him whatever his character is in the film, and he picks up the... Bernard, baby! <laughs> he picks up the map, and he's like, I don't see any of that on the map. Yeah. It's just an empty map. <laughs> and it's like, there's a, there's an awareness that we're we're that we're dealing with a kind of a mythical Australia yeah, that we've exactly. seen in movies. Yes. And what I like is, you know, this movie takes the time to introduce this sort of relationship complication... Yeah. But it it's not do, ever dwelling on it, and you can tell that it's all only in Bernard's mind. And it's dealt with at the end. Yeah, exactly as it should be. Exactly as it should be. Again, <laughs> yeah. like I, I feel I feel like this is another film I would show to prospective screenwriters and be like, see what you can do in this amount of time? Right, exactly. <laughs> all right, well... Uh, our heroes are about to try and save the boy. Why don't we take one more break and then we'll come back and we'll finish up? How about that? Yeah, sure. And let's <laughs> let's uh, let's let's contain talk about, your enthusiasm. Let's talk about how all Disney Disney snakes look the same when we come back. Yes, indeed, they do, don't they? You're so right. <laughs> the Jungle Book. They took they took that snake right out of the jungle. Oh, uh, maybe it's the sequel to that as well. Who knows? <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target and check out the Sounds and Cinema podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound, but as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target! Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target! That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. Tom and I are back, everyone. Did you miss us? The Rescuers Down Under is going down. This is the last segment. Uh, here we are. We're going to finish up. We're with... in the last 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'll take us only 45, 50, I'm sure. Uh, but this is an underrated film. I agree. And well, I was I, surprised. I, I, the consensus has obviously turned in its favor. But I guess, yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, it's weird to decipher thirty years later uh, what what's going on with Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> True, because we know that that things change in time, and I'd lo- you know I'd love to have more of a sense of what people thought at the time. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it it really works, and some of it is really beautiful. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, again, you got to you just sort of 
I don't know if it helps to judge it against other Disney animated features or. or That's the thing. It does seem like it's it's a Disney film unto itself. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's writing the old and the new. Mm. Yeah. And it feels like that, and so it it gives you a nostalgia feel, but it also feels like it's doing something different. It's and in that way, it's a time capsule that's really interesting to look at. It's. It's an absolute time capsule, and we should definitely, you know, go back to it and, and you know, reinvent the wheel because it tells us a lot about how. Uh, <laughs> well, you've mentioned how, several times how, how to digital, write. <laughs> well, how uh, on a on a visual level, how digital uh-huh. style could have gone and could have been used to enhance reality rather than distract us from it. Right, because what's interesting is it. It, it's got moments of feeling like Don Bluth kind of stuff. Yeah. But still manages to that. feel like, you know, the new stuff that Disney was starting to churn out that it started with the year prior with Little Mermaid. And it's full of scenes that, you know, <laughs> as I say, don't deserve to be in here. But they did. But the, the movie, the movie is better because of them. Well, the, <laughs> We Go might on. be talking about the same I think, scene. I think we are. We're going to come up on, I think, my favorite part of this movie. Oh, well, it, I don't think we are then. Oh, this I is love, not an enjoyable scene. Oh, well, I love when McLeach has the eggs. Oh, sure. And is well, going, back, going back But I'm talking forth. about the scene prior, when, uh, which is a cutaway to... Back to the cabin where a ranger's bringing oh, yeah. <laughs> his mother a backpack. A backpack. I was like, what a poignant, understated, elegant, dramatic scene to throw in at this point. Yeah, right. I, I, it's just really high-functioning storytelling. Mm-hmm. And also, Because it gets like, you. you know, it gets you in the cockles of the heart. It does. And it, once again, done with minimal dialogue and no faces. Certainly um, not mom's face. It reminds me. Yeah, of the, no faces. You don't get the rangers. His back is to you. In a, a different effect, but it reminds me of, of an execution of the scene from Bambi with the hunter. Yeah, right. Which has a similar. It has the same emotional resonance, but for a very different reason. Um, but also, you know, when you get to the end of the movie and you're like, "Hey, why aren't we circling back to the reunion between him and his mother?" And I'm like, "Well, we already had that scene with the backpack. I mean." can't really get any more emotional than that yeah <laughs> so <laughs> we guess we don't need it because this film did its job <laughs> and now i've got a half an hour extra to do something else <laughs> right with my time it's yeah. so interesting i don't have that... to watch like emotional reunions between people for 20 minutes yeah it's uh, it's uh, kudos to you for picking up on that the idea that they there, there's no way a movie today would excise that reunion no. scene with mom no. No way. But it is. I don't know. I don't know if it's linked to this, but I, you know, that scene, like all the emotions you would play out in that final scene, are already in. I've already been in the movie, so there's no need for it in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds sounds quite ruthless when I put it like that. But <laughs> you monster. You know, screen time is important. Screen time is valuable real estate. If you don't need it, well, should be sell it off. but anyway let's talk about eggs i think that is just a wonderful 
comedic bit that feels vaudevillian mm. and <laughs> it's so it sounds so stupid to say because no, it doesn't. George C. Scott's not really speaking. But it you know, because of the animation and because he's feel feels so connected to the character, it's like I'm watching George C. Scott do amazing work. But it's the animators but- and it's all in camera, one shot, kind of a medium range shot, and everything about it to me is delightful. Because you can I mean, the, see thought process, processes, and it's fucking great. I love everything about it. You know, when, when Disney first came out with its uh, comedy shorts, it really was taking the lead from the, the silent comedians and what they did. Yeah, right. So this lineage is, is I think, really important. I think that, you know, that, that animation started out as a vehicle for slapstick. Mm-hmm. And when you see remnants of it here, and and you're absolutely right, it is. It's like a Buster Keaton setup. Yeah, right. It's you know, whilst also dreaming about child torture, um, <laughs> that's another that's another, another kind of genre fusion that they're dealing that they've got here. But it's but you know, I, like I it, love the it button plays on to it the too. strengths of Dis- uh, Disney at its it plays the strengths of Disney at its best, and there's a ton of that in this film. Mm-hmm. Like the like the Bambi, you know the the scene, yeah, right. the the faceless scene, which makes you think of all the other faceless scenes in Disney history and how well they work emotionally. And you're like, oh, do we really need faces in films? Um, <laughs> is that where it all went wrong? Uh, <laughs> I love the it's... button because it reveals character too. I love yeah. I love that McLeach after a good solid 60 to 90 seconds of wrestling with trying to figure out uh, where, who's, who's getting his eggs. Yeah. As he's dealing with it, with, with Joanna, that his button line is you small brain creature. You can't, you can't get one passed on me. And you just see the folly of, of of a very stupid man. There's nothing better to me than a, a, an aggressively stupid person and that's what this character yeah. is in, in the well, moment and it's super Laure- funny and that's what's great about laurel and hardy you know aggressive <laughs> stupidity yeah um so yeah no wonder um and you know what I, I just have some notes here about the um the digging in the sandstorm and how lifelike that looks yeah um again this sort of hyper realism achieve with animation and more on the sort of like unsanitized violence it's like animals fighting with guns it's like it's like like the violence in these films i this is an interesting point it's like is there the this level it, you get moments like this in in disney films now but i don't feel the jeopardy and threat in the way i do in this movie or movies of this era Mm-mm. like it I don't feel like it's going to happen to me. It's happening to me or someone like me. Yeah, right. And that's that's how I kind of feel. And like even in Toy Story three, where you have that uh, the incinerator scene, which is one of the darkest things ever in a Disney film, you're still sort of like, well, these toys are not supposed to be alive anyway. So <laughs> what's the worst that could happen? It's not like I'm sort of like you know this could be my kid or that could have been me as a kid or right. something like that. Like 
it feel like it 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 actually gets to you because there's no fantasy i guess i mean there's the, all the talking animals but apart from that but i still know much. what you mean because there's yeah. a real boy at, in jeopardy at all the, the center time. of all this like continually like, throughout the from, film from minute one <laughs> it never and, never stops and a great sign that that computer animation is not going to affect the level of detail in Disney films is when we see the, is when he's, uh, the boys released, um, McLeish is tried, is tricking him into revealing the location of the, the location of the, of the eagle. eagle eggs. And then the Eagle's nest, the leaves and the hay are all different colors, different levels mm-hmm. of decay. Like someone has put a ton of thought into, thought drawing them creating them what they would look like in reality how we do that in animation yeah if i was if i was wary of animation and computer animation in 1990 this would be a good sign for me that that attention to detail is not going to disappear just because we can farm some of it off to a to a machine that only two guys can work agreed (laughs) also interesting that (laughs) Along with the other Disney 1990 single sequel this year, there's a film in which a man is trying to propose to a woman throughout the movie (laughs) and failing. And and not doing it. How weird is that? That's funny. Is there some some playbook we've we've not seen? From Disney itself? Disney are just like, I don't care if you're making a touchstone live action or an animated feature. I want These proposals. The <laughs> <laughs> I love um, talking about playing to, playing to strengths. You know, putting writing it so Bob Newhart ends up being in scenes where he's the only one talking. Mm-hmm. It's such a good, you know, it's like playing to his strengths as a, as a monologist. Yeah. As the monologist comedian. Yeah, right, right, right. It's like a, the ability, sort of doing his one-sided phone call as a, as a monologue. So good. Yeah. Uh, and then we get and a then, song. And I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. Which reminds you that this movie's not a musical. Yes. So there's that, and so much so... It's just a straight-ahead horror film. <laughs> And I remember reading that when George C. Scott's character is singing, it's not him. Somebody else sings the song. Oh. Oh, I see. That's where he drew the line. I guess so. I just, maybe he thought, no, I'm not the guy. I'm not good enough. I'm not, sing- I'm not singing that shit. <laughs> I played Patton. I was just going to say, this is no Patton, all right? <laughs> what about Dr. Strangelove? That was a little... Yeah, right. <laughs> but I also was going to say, you know, <laughs> for for character arc reasons, you know, our hero Bernard, Bob mm. Newhart, he's going through this whole movie basically just wanting to propose and he keeps getting kind of foiled and he can't do yeah. it and he seems bumbling and chubby and un- ill-prepared and all those things are happening to him. And then, of course, this movie has him become the hero. Yeah. Which is really smart writing, you know, because 
you get to see why Bianca's in love with him in the first place because this is who he is at his core and all that. You know, it's I love that he we gets also, the razor back and he's got plans and he's, he, you know. Yeah. It's true. And also, we haven't mentioned what's happening to, to, to Wilbur. I don't know if we're all a little, if we're both a little worried about triggering each other, but <laughs> some of the darkest shit in this movie is happening to Wilbur. Yes, for sure. In, in between these scenes. I, I mentioned the vice on the head. <laughs> Earlier, yeah. he's he, he somehow ended up in a in a hospital which is de- dedicated to torture, and primarily so, above all else. That's I could I couldn't for one second figure out if this doctor really was malevolent, which he seems yeah. to be, or if there was yeah. something altruistic that we didn't know about, because the movie doesn't seem to present it. No, well, yeah, it's sort of yeah. I guess I guess it's you know that's part of slapstick as well is that sort of good intentions which yeah right hurting people. But that I was just I was really I was really taken (laughs) aback by it. It was it was sort of torture sequence upon torture sequence all being uh, played for laughs. When it got to a certain point. Where he was tied up and trying to yeah. escape. <laughs> That's when I, my heart really started to race in that moment. I noticed. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> like I don't know if if it's a, if it's a if they're misjudging the tone or whether they're going for horror comedy. Yeah, right. I suspect they might be going for horror comedy. Because that's Disney's way. At this time, it seems to be like yeah. the, the, there's oh, at least there's no contradiction between the two. Mm-hmm. They got there ahead of Sam Raimi. <laughs> you know um, what's funny too is, you know, you're talking about an hour and nineteen, a seventeen minute movie, whatever it is, and yeah. your titular characters do not meet the boy until about fifty nine minutes into the movie. Yeah. None of it matters. It all works. No. Yeah. It's, it doesn't overplay its hand. Does yeah. It? Um, I mean, it just seems like something you might complain about in another movie. It, yeah. But there's something in this movie that makes it work. It's 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 oddly efficient. Yeah. And I don't know how much that efficiency historically is to do with how hard it is to make these movies and how long yeah, it takes. Right. But by this time, you've got to think that, that it's sort of cemented into a storytelling formula where we're just used to telling stories quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the shortest Disney animated feature is Dumbo, which was all the way back in 1940, um, which is like an hour and something, you know, a couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, so it can't not affect the way that you tell story and, and the efficiency that you you do it with but it's retrospectively it's it's a very pleasant experience when scenes don't outstay their welcome and everything ties up without you wanting right. more yeah and or less like you just you yes, exactly yeah, i'm done I'm, I, was, I was done 25 minutes ago yeah, you don't want exactly. that feeling yeah so I'm sure it's for a lot of different reasons, but that that doesn't mean it's any less satisfying. 
No, yeah. Um, and even, you know, the way that the, the, the villain's fate plays out and the child's um, last-minute rescue, like, obviously, it's cliched and conventional, but... And there's a mechanics behind that, but again, it's just done straight. But down it's the done, and yeah, exactly, that. yeah. I did too. And they don't kill. They don't kill McLeish, but they also don't leave him in a particularly good situation. So, right. <laughs> um, and you know the boy's going to be rescued, but they leave it to the last second, and that's that's fine. Well, not just that, but you know, there was a moment where I thought the boy wouldn't hit the water, and he did. And, yes. and we have a different kind so of rescue. after the moment you expect him to be rescued. Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, it has his, the golden eye cliffhanger moment yeah. out of the waterfall. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> That's great. And different then, different um, view, though, from the ground. While I was watching this, and again, this is sort of comparing it to, I guess, more recent movies, which are more bloated. They end on Wilbur sitting on the eggs mm-hmm. at night and it's all done with audio which is proof that animation doesn't have to be visual mm-hmm. for it to be effective um and at least when finest... you got john candy well that's it i mean it, but it's again it's sort of defying your expectations of what animation is and could be mm-hmm. in a very satisfying way um and, you know, while I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's interesting that there's no follow-up with either the rescuers or the mother, but it's it still works. And then you remind yourself it still works as an ending and mm-hmm. wraps up that part of the story. We got the and essentials. Uh, you know, gonna... we know the boy is safe. <laughs> yeah. We know he's going to yeah. get home to mom. We know yeah. that they're going to get married. And now we know that the eggs have hatched. We have everything we need. We do. We literally have everything we need. And <laughs> not a second more is wasted. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, and you know, it's a, it's a, at this point, it's about story relevance, right? Is that anything that happened, everything that we'd see after this point have any relevance to the story? Well, nope. No. No is the answer. And yeah. that's why it's gone. So do you think, because I mentioned earlier that there's no way that we wouldn't have that final scene. So what 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 is the necessity for a Disney movie today to feel like they have to show you that? Like to give you one more tear? To try and make you well yeah. up one more time? Yeah, the, manipulation. The manipulation and over-sentimentality kind of a... Which, you know, I mean, it... it... I'm sure the moments we're talking about would be very affecting, but it, when I see a movie like this, I sort of, if you layer that in early enough, you actually don't need it. Yeah. So, again, it's sort of by contrast. Um, less is more. Right. Certainly in this case. I mean, yeah, it's in, I, mean, I just I, think it's I, interesting that this movie proves what you don't need. Yeah, you know, it's it's um, almost defiantly. <laughs> and maybe, and maybe it's out of necessity rather than maybe if they if they had all the resources at their disposal, they'd make different choices. But mm-hmm. um, 
I like that they're willing to draw, draw a line under the under a story when it's done. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. say the end. Goodbye. You're yes. still here? Go home. <laughs> <laughs> Ferris Bueller, get the hell out of here. Yeah. Um or as I guess the 1990 single sequel version would be Daffy Duck. Yes. You're right. Who actually does address the camera yes, during the credits. <laughs> You're right. These are all the same movie. They are. Good times. Uh, yeah. Well, great, any I had last a great time with this? And I did. I I was, I was so pleasantly surprised by this movie. I really mm. did not think I was going to enjoy it. I had an idea in my head of what this movie was, and it wasn't that. No. And we already spoke many times to where this movie lies time in, in, in the history of time of animation, which makes it yeah. even more interesting to watch. Yeah. But when you get right down to it, I think it's just a, a well-made movie. I agree. Yeah. From whichever way you approach it. It's yeah. a well-made movie. Yeah. Uh, any last notes for you? Well, of course, I have a credit check. I mean, besides that, of course. No, 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 uh, no in-movie notes, no. All right. Um, I'm at the end of my bird ride as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Credit check me. All right. Suggested by characters created by. This made me very, I saw that. And it interested me so much because we had the same conversation about three men and a little lady. And that's the note I have. It's like, it's like how, how removed from the source material can you be? (laughs) This is three times removed. But I also remember that I, I think the rescuers is. It's a book series. It's a book series, but it's like Miss Bianca and the Rescuers or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my mind went to that when I saw the credit as well. That, that Like, you know, the original right. material, source material was books. Yes. Yeah. Which, you know, is still... It's still pretty much everything Disney do is based on some source text. Even The Great Mouse Detective, I think, is a children's book. Mm-hmm before it was a Disney film. Obviously, in The Little Mermaid, they're still yeah, putting right. out the... Lion King, I suppose, is the the uh, the one that breaks with that tradition. Maybe. Featuring the voice talents of... <laughs> that was such a Disney way to head those credits. <laughs> it's like you could see that kind of verbiage on Main Street in Disneyland. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Pan Pipes. Nice. The 1990s is coming. <laughs> An ominous forewarning of the movie of the music that will populate the next decade. Well, we lie know dorm- where you lie. And eventually lie dormant in its gas station bargain bins. <laughs> um, oh, <laughs> this is this is great. This is the first time I've ever found. A person in the credits who might be a relative of yours. <laughs> what? There's a Michael A. Shansis. <laughs> I didn't notice that. So slipped by me. Ideally, Michael Shans. <laughs> Wait, what was the first name? 
Michael A. Shansis. Oh, wow. How's... Your name is also Michael, just to remind you. Well, I, you said the A. <laughs> I remember the A because my brother's name is Andrew, so I thought oh. I was thinking it was Andy. but This is, is uh, this could be your German cousin. Yeah, wow. How do um, they spell so that? Have... Uh, like you, with an I-S. Wow. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> again, going back, to, <laughs> going back to one of our other 1990 single singles. I can't remember which one. The music editing is also done by Segway Music. Now, this is the second time this company have featured in a 1990 single sequel. And this is the second time we're going to complain about the name of the company. Segway Music is the product you are providing. It is not, should not be the name of your company. I want to say that that was the two Jakes. Didn't we just talk about that? I think so. Yeah. I th- we we definitely talked about it. I don't remember in, co- in which context of which movie. <laughs> but it was a 1990 single sequel. For They're sure. all running together. They really are. You can't just call a company balloons. <laughs> That's what you make. It's not what you are. Um, under the Among the additional voices is Mike McGowan. Well-known improv comedian mm. of the time. Also in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah. As Friar Tuck and, but I remember him being on Whose Line Is It? The British Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah, I was going to say I remember British episodes. So clearly they're drawing on the world of improv comedy to fill out their characters. It's sort of like because he's like a John Candy type. Mm. So they're they're going they're going to the well. I was interested to see San Diego Zoo and Safari Park was thanked. No, I missed Um, that too. Uh. So I don't know if this is where the animators went to learn how to draw the animals. Maybe they were researching sounds. I don't know. Maybe they were researching but... sadness. <laughs> what do you mean? You know, a do bunch of locked up animals. <laughs> so that they could well, put what them you in... described there is a zoo. I don't think San Diego Zoo is any. <laughs> it's like it's, it's uh, breaking the mold on that. That's what I mean. You well, got, yeah. you got a no, bunch I agree. Of, you got a bunch of animals locked up in cages in this movie. But is it, you does does LA not have does Los Angeles Zoo not have enough outback animals? Is yeah, that... yeah. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they. I mean, San, the San Diego Zoo is supposed to be one of the best zoos in the world. So. Right. Yeah. Maybe I they, do remember. Maybe they couple, thought couple... let's go to San Diego. They they know how to cage an animal. Well, they do have quite. <laughs> wow, I didn't know you were so down on zoos. I like I like the side of you. I'm just I'm just pandering to you, basically right what? now. I know you as a as an animal lover. I'm just yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> um But yeah, so but I mean have an extensive Australian collection. I suppose that is the right word. Um <laughs> At the uh, at the San Diego Zoo. Do you remember a few years ago there was like a some themed commercials for the zoo, which were about Australian animals coming in contact with California culture. No. So there was like it was like a koala with a jar of. Um, it was like a it was a jar. It's supposed to look like uh, a weed dispenser. He got it from a weed dispensary, but mm. it was actually um, eucalyptus leaves. <laughs> And he was in a lowrider. <laughs> oh no, man! And it was called like 
qualification or something. All right, fornication. Qualification. Koala fornication. All right. Um, and I remember them being like, I was thinking, wow, that's a little bit on the nose, but I guess weed is legal, and <laughs> you know, fantastic. Go, goes back to the Hank from Breaking Bad's comment about right. low riders. <laughs> it's a car that goes up and down. You used people used to be conquistadors. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff hmm. uh that's it that's, is that that's, it uh, that's my that's my credit check i'm amazed i managed to get so much out of it is that because the credits are about 20 seconds right i guess with animation you gotta leave some time for the credits because I, I i always have confidence in a you lot more, a lot more people work on animated films yeah that's true well, ladies and gentlemen, we were pleasantly surprised. You're going to have to tell us what you think about The Rescuers Down Under, not to mention the rest of the 1990s single sequels, all eight of them, I guess. You're going to have to find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. When you hear us next, we're going to wrap up this nonsense. We're going to uh, talk good, bad. We're going to rank. We're going to re-rank. We're inverting. Yeah. We have an inversion to wrap up the 1990 single sequels. So look forward to that. Unless, yes. unless, uh, unless you know, I'm on IMDb right now. Unless another 1990 sequel pops up in the meantime. It in might. In which case, you'll be treated to another one of these. <laughs> Look forward. You're probably just on the edge of your seat, wondering yeah. if we can find another 1990 single sequel. All right, for Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. Like I said, you'll hear us next week. Say goodbye to everybody, Tom. Home, home on the range, <laughs> where the critters are tied up in chains. I cut through their sides and I rip off their hides, <laughs> and the next day I do it again. Everybody! <laughs> Come on, George C., you don't want a part of that? <laughs> I was going to ask, I presume he didn't sing that either. <laughs> I don't think so, I don't know though. It said something about wonder, two I... songs, so I assume that had to count as a song. Oh yeah, that's one of the that's one of the two songs. Yeah. Oh, that's dis that's disappointing. Isn't it? Sounded still, like him though. Still, a, still, yeah, still. A, well, it did when I did it. Um, but it was <laughs> braggart. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, it's still a, a well written parody of that song. It is, yeah. All right, everyone. Uh, for a horror movie, which, as we know, this is. There's <laughs> no doubt about that. All right, everyone. So long. <laughs>